It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help. Dot com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Let's roll, baby. It is a a Tuesday edition of New York, New York. And we're starting to show it a bang because I think this gentleman to my left is probably the most excited New York media person there is for baseball, including myself. Like, I'm excited for baseball. But I think because, Salakata, you are the host of Baseball Night in New York, you have gone through the daily grind of not having the game and, you know, you're doing shows nonetheless. Is it fair to say you're the most excited New York media member for baseball? Yes. I mean, you know, like you said, we've done these shows together all offseason. Baseball is my favorite sport. Like, I love the NFL, don't get me wrong. But baseball's there every night, six-plus months. Both the expectations for the, you know both the Mets and the Yankees, we expect to have good teams. So reacting to it every night, every day on these shows, yeah, it changes a lot. Now, it's going to be busy, don't get me wrong, but that's fun. I look forward to it. Every year, but especially with the expectations of these two teams. Man, dude, let's be honest. Our April is going to be off the freaking rails. Oh, my between God. Between the Knicks. Mets, yeah. the Yankees, the Knicks, the Rangers, the other teams that are going to be playing. Now, who the hell knows how long it's going to last? But that's a wonderful thing, man. I mean, across the board. We will have, and again, I don't know the exact times of it, but the Knicks, even if the Knicks play one round. Yeah. You're going to have a crossover with the Mets and Yanks. And I guess possibly with Rangers postseason, with Rangers Devils, you're getting that underway. That's awesome if we get it. So, I mean, how the schedule is going to play out exactly, we have to see. But, dude, it's going to be nuts. Oh, sign me up right now. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. And it's a tough question because, honestly, both teams are capable of doing it, right? Like, if we were to go through the teams that are capable of winning a World Series, the Yankees and the Mets would clearly be on the list. Who do you think as of right now, and the answer could change dramatically in July, and it could look drastically different in September and October. Who right now do you think has a better chance to win the World Series? I think it's the Yankees. I feel like, and sometimes, look, a lot, a lot of sports is luck. The Mets put themselves in a great position. It was unfortunate with Carlos Correa, obviously even more unfortunate with Edwin Diaz. I'm not saying they can't recover or go out there and win a World Series. I just don't feel it in my gut. Where I look at the Yankees as... Their lineup is absolutely loaded. And their injuries aren't death blows the way that Edwin Diaz was, where he's out for the year. Okay, Rodon may be back early May. And who knows exactly, as a guy who's always been banged up. But they expect to have him back early May. Bader coming back. They're deep as it is. You know they're going to go out there and add 
I think, and maybe the American League a little thinner. Well, I think the competition will be better than what it was a year ago. I still think it's a little thinner than the National League. So if I had to pick one of those two, I think the Yankees more. Likely. I'm with you there because the National League is loaded. The division is loaded. Think about it. Braves are really good. Padres are really good. I'm not as high on the Dodgers as other people. They're still the freaking Dodgers. They're really good. The Cardinals are always a thorn in your side. The Phillies, I think, might win that division. The Phillies, they go and get Trey Turner. They got Kyle Schwarber, and they're going to get Bryce Harper back. That's my problem for the Mets going into the year. And Sally, this is what it boils down to. We love Max Scherzer. The last two years, in the biggest games of the year, he was not right. For whatever the reason, with the Dodgers and then last year with the Mets, Verlander is a 40-something-year-old pitcher. I like look at those two guys and I say, wow, if they're right, if they're humming, if they're cruising, they could go and pitch you to a championship. But what are the odds of that? That's a monumental question. That's the thing. See, for years, it was the Mets didn't have the horses, right? Like, even if everything went well, they still wouldn't be good. Now, they could overcome things maybe not going well, like losing Diaz, but they do need now Scherzer and Verlander to pitch at least near their capabilities, especially at the end of the year. Because to your point, we saw that last year with Scherzer and Bassett falling apart. Two guys, you know, Bassett was good all year long. He fell apart in the biggest spots. They need their guys. And you could see a scenario where, because of the age, because of the wear and tear, where maybe it's not perfect for the Mets, on top of already losing Diaz, that's where you start to get potentially painting a bad picture for the Mets. Storyline, going into like the first couple weeks of the year, for me, and I'm going to sound like a giddy schoolboy about the dude, it's Volpe, man. Like, it, it is. Like, listen, the Yankees, we've kind of talked about this idea that they're stale, right? Like, it's the same team. It's a lot of the same guys. Well, this is a fresh face. He's a Jersey kid. He's got energy. He steals bases. He's going first to third. And who the hell knows, Sal, if he's the shortstop for the next 10 years, if he's down in AAA in June, but the fact that he's on the team, like for me, those, and it sounds crazy because he's on a team with Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs. But like the first couple of weeks of the year, who's at bats? Am I the most excited to see? Volpe, without question. Because he's a ball player. Yeah. Like we haven't seen enough ball players. You know, we get with the launch angle and everybody wants power or you forget about defense because you just want a guy who could be an offensive guy. Where you actually see a ball player like Volpe that gets me excited. You know, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I want to watch this guy play. You saw some of the plays he made defensively in spring. All the things that you mentioned that he could do offensively. The team clearly loves him. There's a reason why he made it, even though he wasn't given that job. That was Peraza's job to lose. Volpe went there and took it from him. So I'm excited to watch him as well. Now, will the hype be too big, right? Will the, We're going to find out. Will the pressure get to him? We're going to find out. But yes, I think that's a, a big storyline. And you bring up a great point with Peraza because I said all along, we were doing the shows. I said it here on the pod. If they play one of the kids at shortstop, I'm happy. I thought it was going to be Peraza. And listen, I have Jack Curry coming on in a few minutes. Spoiler alert, Jack Curry, who knows the Yankees better than anybody, right. gets the information. He's like, yeah, I thought it was going to be Peraza to start the year. That's how impressive Volpe was. All right, Met storyline. What is one that you have circled first couple weeks of the year that intrigues you the most about this team? Probably, I mean, look, you need to see Scherzer and Verlander go out there and dominate, as we said, but probably Kodai Senga because I think he could be an X factor. I mean, you could look up and down the lineup there. They're going to need to add the lineup. I don't like Vogelback. I think he's going to be a problem at DH, so they need to add another bat. But if Kodai Senga is what they expected him to be coming from Japan and lives up to the hype, he can be a difference maker in that rotation and take it to a level that maybe Chris Bassett, who was here a year ago, couldn't. While solid, while durable, while reliable and consistent, he couldn't get to that next level. Senga has the potential, I think, to be an ace. But it could be, maybe he could be a fourth or fifth guy. Maybe he's getting beat up. We don't know. So the the margin between what Kodai Senga is expected to be and what he will be is pretty big to me. That's why I think he could be the X factor in this rotation. What exactly will they get from Senga? All right, so last year, we put together a top 10 New York baseball list, and you kind of dissected it, and you had some fun at my expense, and I didn't even go through a couple of the names that were on there. I'm sure we'll get a laugh on one or two of them. Like, I think I might have had, like, Jonathan Lewisaga on there last year, just to be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, you knew what you were going to get. All right, I'm going to give you six through 10, and then I'm going to give you one through five. Full disclosure, and I didn't draw it up this way. It just worked out this way. Five Yankees, five Mets. So very fair and balanced as far as this goes, Lakata. I went 10 through 6. John Carlos Stanton, 10. 
Nestor Cortez, who you know I love. I wanted him on the list. Put him at nine. Rizzo at eight. So I went three Yankees in a row, 10, nine, and eight. Then seven, six, five, three Mets. Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonzo. So Stanton, Nestor, Rizzo, McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo. Your thought on that order? My initial thoughts there is you have Lindor way too low. Too low? Yeah. Interesting. I I would probably have, and I didn't do this, but I was just thinking about it, knowing that I would be a guest here. I might have Lindor number two. Really? Over the two big pitchers? Yes. Interesting. Maybe three, but you have him at what, six, you said? Well, I put him at six. I put Pete ahead of him. Right. And maybe I'm kind of putting too much stuff. You you have him seven or or six? No, I have Lindor six. I want McNeil seven. Okay, and Alonzo five. Alonzo five. So you five. did the bottom five. Okay, right. I still, I think, I think Lindor's got to be probably top three. And listen, he had a great year. I mean, we were talking about it with this Jimenez contract extension, right. And the idea that Cleveland did really well in the trade, but still got themselves a star player. Like you can't. You want to tell me he's making three hundred plus million dollars? But last year, considering the defense he gave you, the run production, and, and the clutch ability for the most part with Lindor and right. the leadership. He was everything you could have hoped for last year. Right, which is why I look at him. We talk about Volpe being a ball player. I think Francisco Lindor is a ball player. A guy plays every day. He posts. And Alonzo, too. And I know Alonzo's got the bigger power numbers. He's been consistent. I would put Lindor over him because of the defense, because of all the intangibles that you mentioned. I would probably have him higher. That's the number one thing that jumps out. I mean, look, really semantics when you talk about 8, 9, 10. Uh, I don't love Stanton. We'll see what the list is complete, but I don't know if I would have Stanton even cracking. So you'd have Stanton off the list? Potentially. We're talking about you got Nimmo, Marte. Those are your honorable mentions right now. You nailed it. Nimmo was my number one omission when I was thinking about this list. And, you know, he's got to stay healthy, too. Him and Marte are concerned with the health. That's a big concern for both of those guys this year. I just, something about Stanton, and I get that he was hot in the postseason, He's there's it's always something with him. He's always hurt. He's just keep waiting for the full season. You know, and the and Yankees, it never comes. And it's funny the Yankees say like, "Oh, don't forget we brought him in when we traded for him. He was an outfielder." Yeah, he was. And then he came here and he never played. He always got hurt. So that's not my problem. We knew what he was when the Yankees got him. He couldn't play the outfield. So I have an issue, and he just creates a log jam standing to me. I feel like the Yankees made a bad move, even though they got him for nothing. So and and again, I know the damage that he could do when going right. He's too streaky, and he's never healthy for the full season. He's a weird player, but we like guys who deliver when it matters the most. And he That's did. That's one thing, because you're right. Like, as a regular season player, is John Carlos Stanton incredibly frustrating for a Yankee fan? Yes, he is. The idea that he doesn't put the outfield bothers you. It bothers me. I, I'm not going right. to fight you on that. Right. The fact that he is streaky and misses time is a concern. But I know in the biggest games that the team has played over the last couple of years, he showed up. And I can't say that for a lot of guys on the so, team. So, like, if you were to ask me if I were making just a lineup, forget about top 10 or projecting overall or long term, if I were making a lineup and I had to pick if I wanted either Stanton or Marte in it, I might go stalling Marte. See, I can understand that because of the all-around nature. Right. I think Stanton is more of a game wrecker. Right. And he's a guy that can maybe put the team on the back and carry you for two or three weeks. Right, he'll hit two Stone, homers in a game and ruin that. Game. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's basically a matter of preference. But I'm surprised. Okay, so you have Lindor... Higher than six. Then my top four. Okay. I went one position player and then the three big pitchers in town. I went Judge, Verlander, and I know I'm putting Verlander here without throwing right. a pitch in New York, but the guy was the Cy Young Award winner last year. I want to honor that. I went Garrett Cole over Scherzer just from an age standpoint because I know I'm going to get, as I knock on wood right now, considering the guy's never been hurt the last, I don't know, seven, eight years of his career. Garrett Cole pitches every fifth day. Right. I don't know if you could say that about Scherzer. I would probably go Judge 1, Lindor 2. So Judge got to be 1. We agree yeah. with that. Unanimous. I would go Lindor 2, and I would go Cole 3. As much as I love Scherzer, and you know I love Max you Scherzer. Love Max. I oh do my love, God, he loves love Max Scherzer. I, I think you have to give the nod to Garrett Cole because he's been more durable, and he's been dominant too. The only issue with Cole is he gives up the, the long ball. It makes it look a lot worse then it is. He'll ruin a game. He'll have a 2 nothing lead, be cruising along, and then all of a sudden he gives up and a And it can't be the yeah. three-run home run. Well, you know, right. like, Kurt Schilling for years used to give up solo home runs. Give up 30 home runs a year, but if 25 of your 30 home runs are solo jacks, You're all right. that won't kill you. He the gives three-run up, homer kills you. He gives up the lead with his homers, whether it's a game-tying two-run homer, you know, a, a three-run homer that gives the, t- the opponent the lead. That's the problem with Cole, but Even with that, he's still a dominant pitcher. Well, I love that he pitches every fifth day. 
because not enough guys do that. You know, he's like one of like nine or 10 guys that threw 200 innings last year. Like, how crazy is that? Right. That used to be like the benchmark for every starter that was like halfway decent. He goes 200 innings every year, and he answered those demons in the playoffs. Let's be honest. If it wasn't for Garrett Cole, Yankees don't beat Cleveland last year. So. And now it'll be nice for them to have Rodon if he could stay healthy to, to back Cole in a playoff rotation. Yeah, he's got to be higher. As much as I love Max, he's higher than Max, and I would probably go Max four behind him. I might push Verlander So you want to see Verlander do it here? Yeah. Okay. I, I respect his greatness, and I do think he's going to be good. I don't know, dude. Honestly, remember when the Yankees were going to get supposed to get Verlander years ago? Like, I thought he was washed up when he was done with the Tigers, right? 2017. I remember going on. I wasn't with you. I did an SOI segment with Doug. This is when I first started. And right. it was Doug and McCarron. I was like, I want this guy for the Yankees. Do whatever it takes to get him. You know, like, he's old and he was pitching like crap. Right. And then, of course, we saw what he did with the Astros. Like, I remember, I'm like, could have had this damn guy. But that was 2017. He did win the Cy Young, though. So well, he's been he great. He keeps churning. I was dead wrong about it, obviously, then, thinking he was washed up. Okay, he revitalized, or he found it again, whatever. With Houston, he's been as dominant as ever. I, I, I want to believe he's going to be good. If I thought he was done five, six years ago, how do I trust that he's going to be dominant again? Like, at some point, it's going to run out. And I'm just hoping that it's not now with the Mets. I think he'll be okay I don't think you're going to get Cy Young, best pitcher in the American League, or best pitcher in baseball, Justin Verlander. I, and I need to see it here in New York with the Mets before I put him higher on that list. So basically, long story short here with the top 10, you would have Stanton out, Marte or Nimmo in. Nimmo, I worry about his health, but I do think... See, I needed Rizzo and Ness today. You know, they're my guys. Yeah. They're I, my guys. Rizzo was great boy, for the that's, Yankees. You too. know, maybe I, maybe I would even keep Stanton on there and bump one of the other guys off. I like Rizzo, but... I think Nimmo has the potential to be better than any of those guys we just mentioned. But he's got to do it. He hasn't done it long enough. If you, and he just got paid a ton of money, dude. Well, Shit ton of but money. But you, he could be a solid up. You know what's missing from his game? Power. He needs more power. He should be a guy you'd like to see him hit 25 to 30 Correct. home runs. If he, I don't know if he could do that. If he hits 25 home I mean, he hits the ball hard, dude. He squares it up. He gives you good at-bats. He's got a good eye. He's improved the stack significantly. Guys love him. Yeah, they love a, him. And I'm not a big like you know walk guy and, and the stack guy. I'm, I'm not. I was gonna say this is very anti Salicata. But I think he can hit. And he he reminds me of one of my favorite offensive players ever with the Mets, John Olrud, years ago. Really? He just interesting. Olrud was an on base machine back when on base really wasn't meaning anything. He would give great at bats. You know, he squared up when he hit it. He hit it hard. He hit for good average. Hit with a little power and would walk if he needed to in front of Piazza. Nimmo's not that exact hitter, but that's who he reminds me of. And I think with his defense, he can be a, as complete a player, like maybe more complete than, say, I don't know, even Rizzo. And, and I like Rizzo. I'm not trying to diminish him. He's also but, a guy in the back nine of his career. Right. Still and productive, Nim but an older guy. And injuries are a concern for him, too. Maybe that's the point where the ceiling for Nimmo is higher, where I know what Stan is, I know what Rizzo is. You know, even Marte, we know what he is at this point. And I do like Nestor, too, but I'd have to give a little more. I think you could probably mix and match any which way. Interchangeable, yeah. probably after that top six, give or take. But uh, I'm confirmed, hard uh, top three, Judge, Lindor, Cole, top four, Cole, and insurance. And Those you want Lindor higher on the list, not Verlander. Very interesting. All right, before you go, I got a couple of futures for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you going to be involved in the over-unders? I might. I don't know. Here's my problem. You got 48 hours to decide now. I don't love the Mets number. Well, I, stay away from it. That yeah. would be my advice. Right, exactly. And maybe a kibosh Brave overbet? I would go Braves under. Their number is high, right? It's like 94 and a half. Yeah, I would go under. See, that whole division I want to stay away from. Here are a couple I like. Diamondbacks, over 75 and a half. I think they're better than people think. Yeah, I don't know enough about them. Like, who's their, who's their top two pitchers? Well, they have Dallin. Who I absolutely okay, love. I like him. The lineup is better than you think. It's better than you think. Kelly's another guy I like. And they were supposed to be good last year, right? Well, they were right around. I mean, they weren't like in the high 70s. All right. So, so I think Dodgers back to the pack a little bit. Right. I really like Colorado. Balanced division. So you're not necessarily in there. Here's one I love. Brewers under 86 and a half. I think that team is about to bottom out. I think they're going to trade guys. They can't score runs. Burns already is looking for a way out the door. I don't think they're one of the six best in the National League, Sal. Under 86 and a half with the Brewers. I love that pick, and I love teams like that because the New York teams could feast on them. Pick the bones off the carcass of the Brewers because they're going to have some good players that are going to be available. Last year, you saw it. They started the decline last year. 100%. Okay. Now, I don't know if you're going to like this one. Texas. I think they're going over 81 and a half. 81 and a half? What'd they win last year? 
the Rangers. Weren't they reference. awful last year? They low 70s? They were in the 70s. I'm going to tell you right now. I'll give you the number. The Texas Rangers. Hold on, Sal. In 20. Oh, DeGrom. You knew, I knew you were going to yeah. hate that pick. I knew. The Texas Rangers last year won 68 games. Wow. They were that bad. I felt like they were awful. They didn't even get in the low 70s. 68. But remember, they add DeGrom. Right. They add Heaney. They add Evaldi. They had absolutely no starting pitching last year. Simeon didn't hit for like the first four months right. of the year. And they did hire a first ballot Hall of Famer to be the manager in Bochy. I like that, you know, the buck effect with Bochi. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I could see that because of more because of Bochi than DeGrom. You figure he knows what it takes to win. He can put the team together better than anything they've had recently. All right, fair enough. What's the number again? 81. 81 and a half. No freaking way. They may be better. 81 and a half? That's Dude, what they I'm thinking. 68 wins. I think they're going to be like in the mid-80s this year. I don't know if they're a playoff team this year, but a, I, they're a near, in the mix. A near 20-game improvement? I don't think it's asking too much. Remember, you get wow. a bunch of games... Unbalanced schedule. Get the Tigers. Get the Royals. I know it sounds nuts. If it were 78. You'd feel better about yeah, it. Yeah. I know it's only the a few games. The idea of them going and having a winning season scares you off. I just, I mean, they won 68 games last year. Jeez. The Bochy a- effect, baby. Yeah. All right. All right. Last one. Under. Dodgers. 96 and a half is way too high. They did nothing in the offseason. They lose Gavin Lux. I don't think their pitching is as good. You know I'm a sucker for the Padres. Right. I can't get enough of the Padres this year. I, I think the Dodgers are a good team. I think they're in the 90s. I don't know if they're getting a 97 wins out. Yeah, that's a high number. I mean, it seems like the Dodgers, in the regular season, churn out wins w- with no issue whatsoever, regardless of injuries or anything else. I, I think they'll be, like, what are you What are you predicting, 90, 91? 91, yeah. Okay, all right, close enough. Yeah, I think you'd go under that. I have a hard time, even as much as, you know, the Yankees, who I feel like, even in a bad year, win 91, 92 games. I have a hard time going over anything over 95 wins. Everything has to go right for that to be the case. Even maybe more so. Well, and especially now, with playoffs being drastically different, and teams like the Phillies last year just getting in and getting hot at the right time, I wonder if we're going to see more of that in baseball, where teams say, you know what? It's more important that we're right for the playoffs, even if we don't win the division, if we're in, that's all we care about. Foot off the gas a little bit. It was funny. I was in Port St. Lucie a couple weekends ago. I talked to both Buck and Billy Epler. One of them said that the goal is to win the division and they prefer the bye. The other one of them said that they think the, the bye could do harm. Overrated. Yeah. Interesting. Do you have any uh, guess on which one said which? Buck said win the division. No. Really? Buck said that. Th- he didn't say that. It's not like he said he didn't want to win the division. Yeah. He said that he thought the bye... Could be problematic. Correct. Well, listen, it was for the Dodgers last year. I mean... Now, it wasn't for the Astros. The Astros had no problem with the bye. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can... I think it's rhyme or reason, you know? Terry Collins said after the 2015 season, remember the Mets swept the Cubs. And then they had that layoff. Yeah, he said that that hurt the team. So, I mean, that's one example that had, had, it happened before. So, hearing both managers and Terry saying that it hurt the team, hearing Buck say... Again, not that he doesn't want to win the division. I guarantee you he wants to win the division. But just saying that maybe the bye could do harm, uh, you know, it makes you think a little bit. Nepler was like, you know, you want to win. Obviously, the goal is to get that bye. Thanks for doing this. A ton of fun. Um, I got to know, though. And the, our audience got to know. When will the first NLE is over? <laughs> when is it coming? Are we getting it on Memorial Day? Are we getting it at the end of June? I need to know. I need to know. Uh, I cannot predict that. I mean, I've been saying it jokingly already. Can we get it on a T-shirt? See, yeah. if you actually would have won the division last year, oh, you could have gotten a trademark, you yeah, could have gotten T-shirts, it could have been a big sensation. No. Now, unfortunately, it's only a sensation in Atlanta, which sucks. In, instead, well, look, it, the, the good news is it could happen again, right? I, I like that. That's the idea. But I, I don't have a good feeling about the Mets winning the division this year. If they have I a like lead, it. if they have a significant Reverse lead. psychology, I like it. Yeah, no, I just, my, my gut, look, I thought they'd be good last year. And at the time I made that proclamation, it was, yeah, I think the end of May. But, dude, there were 10 games up the they Braves. They were cruising the Braves. They looked, looked like a mess. That That's, was the bigger issue. Right, correct. I was right about the Mets. I was wrong about the Braves. They came back from the dead. So, and I don't th- I think the Phillies are going to win the division, actually, this year. That would be my prediction. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Salakata, keep up the good work, buddy. Get that- some sleep. And uh, the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck movie that you saw earlier tonight, a big it, hit. Air. It was fantastic. You got to see it. Find some time when you get back from your bachelor party this weekend and find some time to go see it. I'm going to have to download it on the plane. Illegally. Say, can that you do it? Like, uh, illegally? Maybe we'll find Come out. Come on, you got connections? Get Simmons on. Simmons has get... Damon and Affleck on. Get me a screener. <laughs> Salakata, 
Great job. We'll have Jack Curry get a sense for the Yankees. He's got a book coming out. It's coming up next. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Perfect timing, season about to start, but as you get ready for your summer reading, if you're down the beach, down the Jersey Shore, down the Hamptons, you're a Yankee fan, this is an absolute must read. I'm three quarters of the way through. This is probably my favorite team ever because the summer of 98, all they did was win ball games again and again and again and again. So we welcome in the author of this outstanding read on the 98 Yankees. He's going to have a busy Couple months coming up on the Yes Network, our dude Jack Curry. What's up, Jack? Congrats on the book, man. JJ, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for those kind words. I don't think you're the only person who would say that is their favorite team ever, which is a perfect reason to write a book about that team. And I had a lot of fun working on this book. Well, it's a great read. It's obviously a great story. Um, it, it goes without saying the dominance of the team, Jack, and you touch on this in the book, 114 wins. They go and win 125. But you mentioned this right out of the gate. And I think it's important mentioning this. You believe, and a lot of those Yankees talk to you about this, about the idea that 98 doesn't happen if it's not for the letdown of that division series against Cleveland. Sandy Alomar's home run. I'll never forget the O'Neill ball. I thought it was out. It, a wall scraper. Bernie, first pitch. Jose Mesa pops up. And the Yankees lose that heartbreaking series. What was it about that defeat that when you talk to guys on that Yankee team, how did it inspire them that much more? I think, JJ, when you deal with some of these elite athletes, you quickly find out that the misery stings more than the celebrations make you excited. And that 97 team, remember, a bunch of those guys had won in 96. They thought they were ready to win again. And the way that that ended, as you mentioned, Mariano giving up a home run. Uh, they lose by a run in that final game. I just remember being in that clubhouse and just how disheartened they were. Steinbrenner stood in the middle of that clubhouse and said, they're going to win it again next year. But I think to really answer your question, Bernie Williams is the guy that stands out the most for me because Bernie throughout his career could have been, he could be a quiet guy. He told me that that loss drove him in the offseason. He was never going to let himself be in the position where he might make the final out of a series again. Now, does he have control of that? Of course not. The Yankees have to get back to a postseason series. But I think, J.J., that they were angry. And I think they took a lot of that anger into the 98 season and just were not going to lose a game. Never mind, we don't want to lose a series. This team didn't want to lose a game. So as you're going through the process, Jack, and obviously you covered those teams, so you have relationships there, you were there, you lived it, you were a part of it. As you're going back and writing this book, in the regular season, what storyline did you enjoy reliving? Was it the Wells perfect game? Was it the, the trip to Shea Stadium? Was it uh, a strawberry and coming off the bench and performing the way he performed? Like Now that you think back on covering the 98 Yankees, now writing a book on the 98 Yankees. In the regular season, what storyline kind of intrigued you more than any other? I'm partial to Wells and Cone, which is chapter three. You mentioned the perfect game, but everything swirling around the Yankees before that perfect game, a couple of starts earlier, Corey had pulled Wells from a game because he didn't think he was trying hard enough, and he almost blew a 9 nothing lead. Two starts later, he throws a perfect game. But in the middle of all that, J.J., there's David Cohn, not only contributing as a Yankee starter, but recognizing the friction between Torrey and Wells and saying, I got to get in between this. I got to get in the middle of this. This is a special team. We can't let this season go awry because one of the pitchers and one of the manager and the manager aren't getting along. And Cohn ended up being Wells' chaperone. And on the road, they would stay at different hotels. They wouldn't even stay with the Yankee team which was Cohn's way of allowing Wells to be a little bit of a rebel. 
And if you look at the moment that Wells threw the perfect game until the end of the season, Cone and Wells pitched as well as anyone in the American League. Clemens won the Cy Young and Pedro finished second, but they were third and fourth, and, and they were a terrific dynamic duo for the Yankees. No doubt about it. And you spend a lot of time now with David Cohn. How important was he in that Yankee clubhouse? Not only in 98, Jack, but like in 96 and 97. You know, they brought in veteran players to that team, obviously. They brought in some guys who taught those younger players how to win. But it kind of seems like just from like my childhood and now like looking at it from afar, that Cohn was the guy that you guys and gals would go to like after a game, no matter what, he was going to be the guy to be like, all right, Jack, this is this is what's going down with the Yankees on and off the record. How that That's an accurate portrayal, right? You're exactly right, JJ. And I think if you spoke to anyone who covered those teams, they would talk about Cone being the go-to guy. I work in TV now, but when I was a print journalist, you're writing a game story. You want quotes from the players. You want somebody who's going to wrap up that game honestly and succinctly for you. That's who David Cohn was. And I've even had teammates of his, Paul O'Neill, Tino Martinez, talk about how Cohn took the pressure off other guys because he enjoyed the back and forth with journalists. He wanted to be a sports writer when he was growing up. Oscar Madison was one of his idols. So he liked the back and forth. And even beyond that, JJ, we can talk about him taking some of the pressure off in the clubhouse. One of the things that Cohn also did is he watched a game like a scout. He would come up to Tino Martinez after two at-bats and say, hey, you realize they're trying to come inside on the on you with this pitch. You, this is something for you to look at. He'd talk to an El Duque and say, why didn't you throw a changeup there? You're working on the changeup. That would have been a better pitch there. So I just think that his value cannot be overstated. So for me, Jack, my favorite moment in 1998 is the Baltimore brawl. It, it goes without saying. <laughs> like, there was... I'll never forget watching that game. Bernie hits the home run. I'm going nuts. And then Tino gets drilled by that punk Benitez. And I'm pissed off. Every Yankee fan in New York City, in New Jersey, in Connecticut, they wanted blood. And my lasting image is Dow Strawberry going into the dugout. Graham Lloyd and Jeff Nelson just throwing haymakers coming from the bullpen. And there's no doubt in my mind that moment against the Baltimore team that, remember, won the division a year before. They had some battles the last two years, 96 to 97. That kind of like summed up, all right, we're together. We're a unit. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. Like, I, I you don't see many brawls like that anymore, Jack. I understand that. But like, it kind of symbolized like the tight-knit nature of that Yankee group, didn't it? JJ, it was a team that didn't need to be galvanized that was galvanized by that. This was a team that was already on an upward trajectory to greatness. And then, as you said, the Orioles threw a punch in the form of Benitez's reckless and, and stupid throw fastball into Tino's back. And I probably went back and watched that video, I don't know, a dozen times, 15 times. And the one thing that, well, several things stand out to you. You already mentioned a few of them. But also, the Yankees took the fight to the Orioles. That whole interaction occurred in third base or foul territory because the Yankees were the aggressors. The Orioles would have been content with, hey, let's hang on to a couple guys, do what they always do in baseball fights. The Yankees wanted Benitez. They wanted him badly. And Tino and Posada are, are really good talking about that in the book, about some of what I just said, that they were not going to allow anyone to disrespect them. So I haven't gotten to the postseason chapter yet. And that 98 postseason, you know, you look back on it now and you say, wow, the Yankees swept the Padres four straight games, but they played that Cleveland series. And you know this, Jack, you lived it. They're down two to one. Everybody was on pins and needles in New York City. You had the knoblock fiasco of him blowing the bubble gum, Enrique Wilson stumbling around third base. The Yankees lose at home. Then Pettit got absolutely bombed in Cleveland in game three. And the season is on the line. They're down two to one. And El Duque, El freaking Duque with the big, it, that was the biggest game of the season. Down 2-1 against Cleveland, the team that beat you the year before. And, and what I remember about that, Jack, is Jim Tomei missed the three-run homer by like inches. Like, yeah. I'll never forget. First inning, I'm like, oh boy, that ball's gone. It didn't go. And from that point forward, Duque settled in. 
the Yankees won that game and basically there was no turning back. But how tense was it being around that team with the season they had, like 98, amazing season, but it means nothing in the grand scheme of things if they don't go win the World Series. Was that the most tense you felt that Yankee clubhouse? Was it early in the year when it was struggling or was it 98 ALCS 2-1 to one down? It wasn't earlier in the year, JJ, even though Tory's job was talked about being in trouble and even Cashman's job, which I talked about in the book, you said it earlier, the tension was so thick when they were down in that series. And I thought Jeter said something to me that was really resonated about that. So you've got David Cohn, David Wells, Andy Pettit in your rotation. We all know what their resumes are. And Jeter said the perfect guy to pitch that game was El Duque because he didn't scare. Not saying the other guys did. The other guys were fearless fearless in their own way. But here was El Duque swooping in, hadn't even been with the team for a year. He comes in. You mentioned the Tomei at bat. After that, he shut them down. Uh, I believe O'Neill had an early home run in that game. I wrote the book. I should know that. And that just gave the Yankees a little bit of breathing room. Funny story from the book. I'm pretty sure this has been told before, but Tory ran into El Duque that morning in the hotel restaurant, and El Duque was helping bust the tables because the place was so busy. And while Tory thought that was nice, he later went up to him and said, do you realize how big a game tonight is? And El Duque, through a translator, said, yes, but the word that you mentioned is most important is tonight. He said, I'll be ready tonight. And Tory relayed that story to me and said, yeah, he, he was ready that night. He was right. He, he pitched them into uh, essentially the World Series. And there was never a doubt when they got to that World Series. And, you know, to cap off the 98 season, Jack, Brocious, who they trade with Oakland for, he's a 200 hit and third baseman. They trade off, cast off Kenny Rogers, who was just one of those guys. He had a successful major league career, but was not wired for whatever the reason to pitch and handle the magnitude of New York. Rather apropos that on a team with all these future Hall of Famers and, and all these great players with all these legacies and whatnot, it's the guy you pick up who's hitting 200, who <laughs> ends up hitting 300, knocks in 100 RBIs, is an all-star, and then, oh, by the way, goes and wins World Series MVP and hits a bomb off of Trevor Hoffman in Game 3 of the World Series. That kind of sums up the 98 Yankees in a nutshell, Jack. It does, and that was a salary dump, let's be honest. They were dumping Kenny Rogers' salary. They were hoping that Brocious could be an average third baseman. The year before the 200 season, he'd actually had a decent season for Oakland, but he really struggled in uh, 97. They never expected to get what they did, so you're absolutely right. JJ, I think when Teams have extraordinary seasons. You need to get contributions from places you never expected. And the three players that stand out for me on that 98 team, we've talked about them. Well, we've talked about two of them. El Duque, Brocious, and Shane Spencer. Because at the start of the season, if you ask Brian Cashman, who was in his first year as GM, what's your expectation for these three players? Spencer was at AAA. El Duque, they were thinking, was a back end of the rotation guy. And Brocious, like I said, they were probably hoping he hit 250 and played solid defense. And we all know what they got out of all three of them. Does it amaze you as you sit in a yes chair and you're writing about Brian Cashman's first year <laughs> as Yankee general manager and what he had to deal with and the presence of George Steinbrenner? Listen, Jack, I've had my critiques with Brian Cashman, but I'll be the first to admit, first ballot Hall of Famer whenever he retires, one of the best GMs in the history of the franchise, in the history of baseball for that matter. Is it like, holy smokes, I can't believe this guy with the Yankees, this, this franchise that used to fire people like there was no tomorrow has lasted as long as he has lasted within the franchise? You have to think so because, J.J., whether it's the Yankees or, or any professional franchise, it's very hard to have a 25, 26-year run. But then when you add in the fact that you're right, George Steinbrenner was the owner, and then you add in this fact, Brian Cashman didn't want the job. He had seen what it was like to be the GM while working under Stick Michael, working under Bob Watson. He liked his area. He liked being an assistant GM who was close to the action, but wasn't the guy who was getting the angry phone calls from George when something didn't go right. When Bob Watson resigned because of health reasons, I detail this in the book, George called up Cashman and said, I'm, a, I'm going to offer you the job. I could recycle somebody else, but I think you can do it. 
Cashman said he didn't necessarily want it, but he was also smart enough to take it. So I do think it's interesting how, how Brian Cashman's career is viewed. I know within the industry, the respect that he commands from people is vast. I know that in a, in a fan's view, that folks who won a championship yesterday, and I can understand that. The Yankees haven't won since 09. I think their view is different. But in 25 years, 22 uh, winning records, uh, pre- pretty much I, I think there's a stat out there that maybe it's, there's only been a handful of games where they haven't been in contention for uh, 22 uh, postseason appearances, not just winning records. There's only been a handful of games where they haven't been in contention for a postseason spot under him as GM. So pretty good resume, pretty good record. Couple of quick hitters on this current team. Volpe, you covered it throughout the spring. Uh, had Michael Kay on on Sunday. He was all over this too. He earned it, Jack. As far as I'm concerned, he went and took the competition, took the bull by its horns, played his rear end off to the point where the Yankees had no choice. He needed to be the opening day shortstop. Is your expectation? Look, spring training, take it for what it is. Uh, I know he's a young player. I know young players are going to have to deal with adversity. But am I crazy to say that I think we've seen the last of Anthony Volpe in AAA for the Yankees? Like, I just think he's ready for this. I think he's wired for it. And I expect him to come in and contribute right out of the gate. I really do. Am I crazy? No. And that's not an outrageous statement. That's not hyperbole. That's not an exaggeration. I want to be honest. In our hot stove shows in the offseason, and then even leading into some of spring training, I really thought it was Peraza's job to lose. Me too. Peraza was the head in the pecking order, so to speak. He had come up in September and October when the games are tense and there's a lot of reason to stumble and had acquitted himself very well. But you said it perfectly, JJ. The Yankees did say it was a competition and the better player this spring was Volpe. I always thought IKF, though they threw his name in there. I did not think they were going to run it back with him. And I, there's a presence about Volpe. There's a, a confidence and a belief in himself. And when you watch the way that he plays, he clearly plays beyond his years. And I'm so impressed by his hitting approach. So many young guys, they want to come up and they want to have that great impact right away. This kid is selective at the plate. He's smart at the plate. He will take his share of walks. And I think with the new rules, pushing athleticism forward, I think that a guy like Volpe is going to be so valuable to the Yankees. So they've been chasing this white whale. It's the Astros. You know it. I know it. Everyone in baseball knows it. They've lost them three times out of the last six years in the ALCS. And Jack, I talk about it ad nauseum on the podcast, on television. Well, how do you close the gap with the Astros? To me, it's putting the ball in play. It's a young player like Volpe, but it's LeMayu. The last two years... He has not played in the postseason for the Yankees. They need this guy to be healthy. How do you see the Yankees? And and I asked this to Michael, so I'm going to ask you around the team every day. How do they, because this is, this is what I'm trying to figure out. It's what the fans are trying to figure out. How do you, they're really good, the Astros. We know that. They are, they are the class of Major League Baseball. How do you close the gap with a team like that? Well, I'm not trying to waffle or not directly answer your question, but I have a ton of friends who are Yankee fans. And one of the things I've become fond of saying is, first and foremost, win your division. The Astros are there, and you're right, and they're going to be peeking at them all season long. But I think the Yankees, even with the injuries to Rodon and Severino, who I think we'll see both of them back in May, I think the Yankees are the best team in the AL East. So first and foremost, take care of your business in the AL East. I like your point about LeMahieu. Uh, Volpe has to contribute. They should get five months from Bader. I know fans don't want to hear this, but do, do Hicks and Donaldson bounce back? Do you get contributions that can help you maybe close that gap? But the Astros are the best team in the American League right now. And so for the Yankees, for me to st- sit here right now and say to you, this is how they close the gap, JJ, you know I don't control that and I don't have the answer to that, but they do. And it's a handful of the guys that I that I just mentioned doing whatever they can do, get into another postseason and believe that you can beat the Astros. Your point about the strikeouts is well taken. We interviewed Tim Nairing, one of general manager Brian Cashman's top guys, and he talked about an A swing and a B swing. Now, Tim is an old school guy, but I so appreciated what he had to say because Paul O'Neill has said this to me a lot. Your first two strikes... You should go up there and you're trying to do damage. But once the pitcher has gotten the two strikes, 
there has to be some sort of adjustment where not every swing is looking like a swing that's trying to hit the ball 430 feet. So well said. Uh, honest, refreshing. I hope we see more of that in the Bronx in 2023. I want some reassurance on this. I think Cole's going to be, I know I'm really going out on a limb by saying Garrett Cole's going to have a great year. Jack, I think this year he wins his Cy Young. You know, he's been in New York now the last couple of years. He put to bed that nonsense about him not being able to pitch in the postseason, which was so overblown. One bad start against Boston. Saved their season against Cleveland. You guys hit on this in the postgame. I don't know why for the life of me they took him out in game three against the Astros, but neither here nor yeah. there. How do you like the sound of future Cy Young Award winner Garrett Cole in Yankee pinstripes? Yeah, I think that could easily happen. I think that we have a tendency sometimes to underestimate how important it is to have a durable pitcher at the top of your rotation. And last year, JJ, only eight pitchers in the major leagues threw 200 innings or more. Cole was one of them. Uh, 33 starts, 200 innings and change. And there's a lot to be said about that. I talked to him the other day when I was down in Tampa. I could tell he's ready to... uh, succeed this year I revisited with him the idea that when he signed he was asked about winning a championship and he said well how about winning multiple championships so I I I brought that back up to him and he said well we got to get the first one first and you and I both know for the Yankees to have any thought of that happening Cole does have to have that kind of season that you were talking about final one Jack tie it back to the book because you hit on this right in the open And you did a book with Derek Jeter a long, long time ago. And obviously, you're going to get a much different side of Derek Jeter, the fierce competitor, the guy who doesn't want to give too much when he's a player. Now that he's in this post-playing world, he's not owning the Marlins anymore. He's a little bit more reflective. He did a documentary, which was great. You were part of that. I really enjoyed it. Um, And told you, this is the best team ever. I agree with him, by the way. I think he's 100% right on that. But compared to me, the experience of doing a book with Derek Jeter in his playing days and then getting the opportunity to talk to Derek Jeter now that he is the first ballot uh, unanimous Hall of Famer. That's a great question, JJ, because I speak to a lot of high school and college journalism students, and they'll ask me about the book writing process. And when I did do that book with Derek, he's a few years into his career. He's maybe mid-20s. He's in such a different part of his life than he is now. As you said, 20-year career, Hall of Famer. He's been an owner for five years. He's married. He's got three kids. So I think the word that you used is the perfect word, reflective. Because the the quotes that Jeter gave me about the 98 Yankees, he wouldn't have given me in 98. He wouldn't have given me in 99 or 2000, 2001. But he's comfortable now in talking about that team. And I, I, I appreciate him going back and doing that. And he even said a couple of things in this book that surprised me. I was around that team and I understood how dominant that team was and felt it wanted to be. Jeter said something to me, JJ, and I don't know if you got to this part of the book yet. I've never heard a player say, he said, we wanted to beat you every inning. We wanted to pummel you. It wasn't about beating you in the entire game. We wanted to beat you every inning. I mean, that's a, that's a whopper of a statement because we all know it's nine innings. You could fall behind three, two in the third. Jeter had that mentality that we wanted to punch you in the face every inning. And that's why the Yankees won 114 games, 125, and they are the greatest team that I've ever seen. Jack, uh, thanks for a few minutes. Congrats on the book. We'll be watching on Thursday, but I got a half marathon coming up at the end of April and you're the king of this on the playlist. So I'm going to let you add and contribute. I'm eclectic, so you give me 70s, 80s, 90s. I'll even go 60s. You give me a song right now to add to the playlist. What am I adding to the playlist? Oh, um, a song that I just heard. Uh, the band is called Talk. Okay. The song is called If I Run Away to Mars. If I and Run Away to Mars. That's easy enough travel, to remember. I don't even you know if I, I, I should get the title exactly right. It's something... Um, it, you'll like it. It's it, you said eclectic. It's got some. It's got a little David Bowie vibe to it. Um, it's a really good tune. Add that to your mix. Uh, Run away to Mars by the by Talk. I'm gonna put it on, and if it comes up during the 13.1 at the end of uh, April, I- I'll let you know how I'm feeling. We'll see if it's beginning, middle, or the end. You know, we'll I love find it. Out. I love it. What are you shooting for time wise? What do you What do you want? Well, we do? were under two. We were under two hours last year, so we were 155 last year. 
Uh, I have to be honest, training was a little better last year than this year. So we'll see if I can, if I can be under 152, I'm signing for it, Jack. I'm not greedy. 152. I've got two marathons on my resume. My knees won't allow me anymore. The last marathon I did, I, I did the half in 202, and I was thrilled. I would have loved to be under two. So if you're doing 152, my hat's off to you. We'll see if I can top last year. Jack Curry, great book on the 98 Yankees. Yes, Network. Thank you for a few minutes, my friend. Thanks, JJ. All right, that was a ton of fun. Lakata into Jack Curry. We'll do a bunch of live reaction on Twitter Spaces after the Met opener. Yankee opener at one, Met opener at four. Twitter Spaces right after the Mets go final against the Miami Marlins. One more over-under, I got to add. Toronto Blue Jays are going over 91. And the Yankee fan and the Mets fan is going to want to hear this. I think they're both playoff teams. I think you have both teams fall short of the division. How about that? I'm going with Atlanta in the National League East. Toronto in the American League East. And a World Series prediction. I hope I'm wrong on this. The San Diego Padres over the Toronto Blue Jays. How about that for a World Series prediction? I am invested in Cole to win the Cy Young. Don't forget about that. All right, Jeff Money, before we say goodbye, what do we got for plays? JJ, Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. It'll be for Thursday the 30th. Let's start out with Major League Baseball opening day. We're going to go with two games. Money play, I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners, minus the 115 over the Guardians. And I'm going to take the New York Mets, minus the 120 over the Marlins. Again, two plays. Money play, I'm going to go with the Mariners, minus the 115, and the Mets, minus the 120. And everyone can all file all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Bunny. Listen, the Mets have been one of the best bets going on opening day. Minus 132, Scherzer and Alcantara. Yankees, minus 165. It's going to be Logan Webb against Garrett Cole. Fired up for baseball. I have an SGP for the Yankees. I have an SGP for the Mets. We'll have you covered every which way on Thursday. Check that out on my Twitter page. I'm heading out to Vegas. It's going to be insane for the bachelor party. I'm five months before the wedding, but final four at Circa. Opening day, golf, beaks, pool. It's going to be stellar. We'll have a live report Thursday from the desert. I want to thank Stefan. I want to thank my guy Cliff for stepping in, helping me out here with the podcast. Appreciate his contribution. I will talk to you all Thursday from Sin City. JJ out. Ready for baseball, baby. Be good. <laughs>